0: Welcome to Lasso Lessons. I'm Mike Merrill. And I'm Kathy Buckman. And today we're discussing season two, episode nine of Ted Lasso, Beard After Hours.
1: So this episode is one of two episodes that's a standalone from this season. Along with the Christmas episode, these two I have read were added later to the core 10 episodes that are the more standard advancing the storylines kind of
0: episodes. From what I understand, they agreed to 10 episodes and Apple said, can we do 12? And they said, okay. And they added a couple more in. And this particular episode is deeply inspired by the 1985 Martin Scorsese film, After Hours, which should be recognized because it often isn't as deeply indebted to a radio piece by the late, great Joe Frank, who's probably best known for his shows on Santa Monica's KCRW and... Joe Frank really opened up my eyes, my ears to the possibilities of narrative storytelling on the radio. And it's part of a wave of films in that period in the mid 80s or so, where what we called the yuppie back then, a young urban professional, makes some questionable choices and very rapidly falls into deep trouble, typically in a world that grows ever more surrealistic. Something Wild with Jeff Daniels and Melanie Griffith was a favorite of mine in this genre, But two others were Desperately Seeking Susan with Rosanna Arquette and American Werewolf in London with Griffin Dunn. After Hours pairs these two stars in a tale of a lonely word processor. And yes, that was a job at this period who gets sucked into stranger and stranger circumstances all with a host of women who seem to share this kind of desperate quality. I'll say this film is enjoyable a lot of ways. It's not maybe the most feminist film ever made.
1: No. And it's funny how I see that now. In retrospect, I saw all those films you just mentioned. And I love the idea of thinking about this as a 1980s subgenre. And I think at the time I loved all these films. The most feminist, I guess, of all of them might be Desperately Seeking Susan. I have a photo of myself somewhere trying to look like Madonna. And desperately seeking Susan. She had a great look.
0: Because this is not a typical Ted Lasso episode, we're going to take a non-typical approach. We're going to be working in a lot of the analysis of what we see and the tips and the lessons learned about work and leadership into our summary, as it were. So it's a slightly different format. We hope you'll follow along. This episode kicks off by repeating a scene from the previous episode: it's post-game. After the big loss to Man City, outside the stadium, Beard rejects Ted's invitation to join the team. Beard feels he needs to go off alone. Ted says, remember, bird by bird. And this is a phrase attributed to the writer Annie Lamott.
1: Yeah, Annie Lamott was specifically giving advice to writers who who often find their task very intimidating. To go bird by bird is a way of saying, take things in small steps.
0: I think it really is a moment where we break the fourth wall here by recognizing momentarily that we are not only looking at two fictional coaches, but two real writers. I imagine that this is something that Jason Sudeikis and Brendan Hunt actually say to each other in the writing room in real life. Ted also reminds Beard that he is responsible for coffee for the coaches when they watch the film the next morning. And this becomes a frame for what is otherwise a very distinct episode and you know, kind of lankers it a little bit in the Lasso universe.
1: So the scene where Beard and Ted are saying goodbye to each other outside Wembley, I just love the light. In this scene, it is a liminal kind of sunset light that you just don't see in Ted Lasso episodes very often. Usually the lighting is either bright daylight or full darkness. You don't often see this kind of transitional lighting. And it it sets a very appropriate tone that Beard is setting off into something that's going to feel
0: different. As Beard approaches the tube station with the other fans who are departing from the game, we see a very big, very blue moon hung over London, obviously not realistic. And we hear the Man City fans singing Blue Moon. This is one of their standard songs for the past decades that Man City fans sing. But this moon really becomes, and I've heard Brendan Hunt say this in interviews, becomes sort of a icon, a way of distinguishing that this is a strange other world. It's not this typical Ted Lasso, bright daylight world. It begins to suggest that we're entering another state, maybe a bit more surrealistic place. We now see Beard on the train home In reality, I think this would require a couple of trains to get from Wembley Stadium to Richmond. He's going home on the train and we hear an acoustic version of the Ted Lasso theme song.
1: I really like this take on the theme song. And I feel like what better way to set a different tone for an episode than to use the theme song, but interpret it differently. And overall, the music
0: in this episode is great. As you said, it does give us a slightly different feeling. Normally, as the theme song plays, we see Ted and seats in the stands on Nelson Road, Richmond Stadium. But here we see people coming and going from the seats of the train as Beard makes his long way home. At home, Beard basically discovers he can't escape the loss. Not only is the game being covered on TV, but the TV commentators, Gary Lineker and T.R. Henry and and Lineker is actually a real announcer. Tiary is more is a coach now. Speak specifically about Beard's feelings. Lineker, by the way, Gary Lineker is in, in the news a lot right now. I happen to be in the UK at the start of the World Cup this year, and he was, I thought, terrific in explaining some of the challenges presented by having the World Cup in Qatar. He's more recently come into some controversy by challenging the conservative government's treatment of refugees in the UK. It's caused him to have some troubles keeping his show on the BBC. I would note here the commentators also engage in some rather elevated illusion making. Not only do they discuss Ed Norton and Wes Anderson's Moonrise Kingdom, but they bring up Old Testament stories and they even have a little moment where they conflate Cinderella and Achilles. Um, It's almost as if they're calling out that this is going to be a different sort of story, a classical story. They are giving biblical, fairy tale, Greek myth story frames to emphasize that what we're about to see isn't the everyday life that we normally experience in Ted Lasso.
1: Yeah, the first big leap, I think, into the surreal is when the TV starts talking to Beard, right? That's when you know that this is not your standard episode. And they are actually narrating Beard's own private insecurities. This is Probably what Beard is saying internally to himself as he beats himself up. And it's going to continue when he goes to the pub later. May fills the same role as being the person who is articulating Beard's own private insecurities.
0: Yeah. As you said, note they follow him around. They actually sit there and talk to him directly. Finding no refuge at home, Beard considers texting Jane, his on-again, off-again girlfriend, but as he will tell me, the barkeep, shortly, basically, he has told Jane that he loves her, but she has not reciprocated, putting him in a bad spot. And all these various kind of rivers and tributaries basically are what sweep him away. He's unhappy with the loss, with his relationship, even with himself. He seems to be running away from all this as much as he's running towards anything. He falls in with the three blokes from the pub, Baz, Paul, and Jeremy, and after regaling them with His personal stories and his disquisition apparently rooted in the theory that our world is a simulation, again, pointing to kind of unreality. They head off to a private club.
1: Once they get to the club, they encounter a hostess who is guarding the door to only those who are members of the club. And she is the first of a series of women that Beard's going to encounter in this episode. And this is a direct echo of After Hours, which is structured around similar encounters between the main character and... A series of women who stand in his way in some fashion or another. I think what Beard does to get past the hostess, whose name is Sarah Coons, is he pulls a mean trick on her. They call her and tell her that her apartment is on fire. And so she runs to go home and leaves the door unguarded. And I would just say, after all the talk that we've done about cognitive reframing, this is an example of Beard using cognitive reframing where you put an interpretive frame around something. Instead of using it as a tool for good to help somebody better integrate or feel ready to move past something, he uses it, in this case, for evil purposes. So he says to the three guys from the pub, he says that when Sarah Coons discovers that her apartment is not on fire, she will be incredibly happy. She will love her apartment. And so I think this just makes the point for me that all of these tools can be used for good purposes or they can be used for bad purposes. The tools themselves are neutral. They're just tools. But this is not Coach Beard's
0: finest moment. And once they finagle their way inside, they run into a group of posh Oxford boys. Beard puts on a fake Irish accent, says he is Professor Declan Patrick Aloysius McManus which is Elvis Costello's real name. Yeah, I think he was born with a Declan Patrick McManus and added the Aloysius himself. And he successfully answers the questions designed to suss out if he really is a professor. Now, this little scene, I think, is clearly an exploration of a theme common in British literature and films and TV. I think Brideshead Revisited, Upstairs, Downstairs, or Downton Abbey of class. It's very important in the way we think about the UK. It's interesting because it hasn't been explored that much in uh, directly, I should say, in Ted Lasso, except in the other non conforming episode in this season, which is the Christmas episode, which clearly explored this, I think, by showing Roy's very posh neighborhood, the kind of comfortable middle class world of Higgins, and then the poorer environs that Ted and Rebecca deliver presents into. But when the three blokes tell Beard that they don't belong there in this club, I think it also points to a common experience many of us might have had, which is called imposter syndrome.
1: Yeah. One of the fellows from the pub says directly to Beard, we don't belong here. And you can just tell from his tone and demeanor that he's feeling very uncomfortable in this private club. So I do think it's worth talking about imposter syndrome because it is something that does occasionally come up in the work context, I think. There are people who can certainly relate to feeling like they're in an environment where they don't belong, where they are just waiting for other people to notice that they are faking it, to call them out for being imposters who are interlopers. And there was a New Yorker article about imposter syndrome recently that really dug into it. Apparently, the two psychologists who invented the term never called it a syndrome at all. They called it imposter phenomenon. And... I think this is a better term because the word syndrome seems to pathologize this feeling that people have and blame it on the person for having a syndrome that's getting in their way, rather than really pointing out the actual dynamic, which is that it's a reality that environments are not welcoming to all and that the fix for this is not to fix the people, but rather to fix the environments.
0: In the club, Beard sees an attractive woman who he follows only to find himself in a room in the club that seems to feature lava lamp-like visuals and screens once again highlighting his loss. And again, the announcers come on to berate him. And I think we see the two drivers of the episode, the issues in his work life and his love life, once again being conflated. He's thrown from the club and I won't go into all the details of the episode. It's a very episodic episode and it doesn't necessarily interact with all the stories and all the themes of Ted Lasso. We'll talk about some of the ones it does, but I do think we see Beard on the run and running from his demons, from what haunts him at work and what plagues him in his relationships.
1: Yeah, I think at this point we can stop doing the full blow-by-blow recount of the episode. I think it's just enough to note that the episode shares with After Hours, this Scorsese film, just a generalized air of danger and pursuit Themes like having a lack of funds in order to travel when trying to get home. And just visually, there's a similar emphasis on house keys, rain, and nightlife locations.
0: Yeah, the house keys here to me really alerted me to the possibility of the house keys in after hours, the original after hours were symbolic because they're clearly highly symbolic here. And they're like this old fashioned key that no one has anymore. And it's clearly something about the key to a Beard and opening up his life that I think is hard to miss. All of this running will culminate in a battle in a tunnel with Jamie Tart's father and his two comrades, and this is where we do briefly touch on some of the themes of the broader show: of bullying, self-destruction. As we've been noting, these two themes have just come together in the previous episode, where Ted, seeing Jamie confront his bullying father, tells Doctor Sharon that his own father killed himself when Ted was sixteen. Here we have Thierry Henry suggests that not only does Beard hate himself. But maybe he would like to destroy himself. And as he's beaten by Jamie's father and these others, and they tell him to stay down, and he just keeps rising up to once again face this beating, this self-destructiveness does seem to be at play.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think that these are clearly Ted Lasso-like themes that are coming out in this otherwise surrealistic and off-tone episode. I also want to note, though, in this scene that Beard is rescued from the beating from Jamie's father and his henchmen when the big jealous boyfriend that Beard ran afoul of earlier in the episode returns and actually ends up helping him. And they have a little ensuing conversation, Beard and the big beefy boyfriend, where the big guy apologizes, shows some self-awareness around where this behavior is coming from, and... This, to me, feels like the tone, the Ted Lasso tone that we're used to, where suddenly people become very self-aware about their own behavior and apologize in very mature ways. That certainly never happens in the film after hours.
0: Uh, No. Beard will eventually find himself in a church. And this connects, I think, with some of the religious themes that we've seen in Ted Lasso. Ted more than once makes these small jokes, which reveal a Roman Catholic background, one he shares with Jason Sudeikis, as we've discussed previously. The church somehow magically, and here I think we see again the after-hour spirit, magically houses the club that Jane has sent pictures from earlier, saying she was atoning for her sins. Beard and Jane dance, and Brenda Hunt, by the way, has become meme-worthy for his very fun skipping dancing style, seen maybe best at the Taylor Hawkins tribute show, which sort of amazingly was held at Wembley Stadium, closing this circle in real life. Beard points at... Thierry Henry and Gary Lineker are sitting there in the club, too, as if to say, at least for now, I have found this answer in this woman I love and in this exuberant dance.
1: Yeah, that beat drop in this song is pretty awesome. And Beard turns out to be surprisingly skilled with a hula hoop. Who knew? So I see this scene as illustrating for us the way that he can communicate successfully with Jane without words. Right. Just expressing with the physicality of dance, the joy and happiness that comes from this nonverbal kind of expression and this activity that they're doing together, that this may be part of the answer for them is to try to find that joy and get away from so much headiness and so many words.
0: The story closes with Coach Beard showing up the next morning with the promised coffee. Ted insists that despite the loss, that they watch the tape, that they watch this loss that is so bad that happens once in a blue moon and there it is again so they have to watch it at what ted claims is 10x speed all to the benny hill theme song and we finish with beard pulling down his hat he needs a nap he puts up his legs revealing he's still wearing these outrageous disco pants that one of the women had given to him the night before as though he's not going to be able to completely brush off this experience that has touched him And Blair comes on singing Universal. Yes, it really, really could happen.
1: I like where this episode ends. Beard ends up back at work, just like Griffin Dunn in After Hours ends up back at work at the end of this crazy night. And Griffin Dunn is clearly relieved to be back at work. And I don't think that's how Beard is feeling at this moment. He's not relieved, but he might just be a little bit transformed.
0: You know, I think as we saw on this one of the things that's happening in this episode is that Beard is sort of conflating, exacerbating his issues. I mean, the loss of the game and the loss of Jane are redounding on each other. They're building on each other. And there's some suggestion to make some self-destructive, maybe even nearly suicidal. Do you think this is a common thing? And how do you think people can deal with it? I know we're not therapists, but you find that your personal problems are making your work problems worse, your work problems are making your personal problems worse. What sorts of strategies do you think people might have to deal with that?
1: First, I want to acknowledge that is absolutely the case that none of us turn into a different person at work. We bring everything to work with us from our personal lives and vice versa. So when somebody has a strong reaction to something at work, it's Entirely possible that the response is disproportionately large because something that has nothing to do with what they're actually reacting to. They could be suffering from something that is distracting and difficult that's coming from somewhere else in their life. So I think the first piece of advice is just for everybody to recognize that is the case and to have a little empathy and offer a little grace to people who may be having a bad day. And I think that's just an important thing for all of us to bear in mind. If you're the person having the bad day and it has to do with stuff that is not to do with what's going on at work, I'm not a therapist. And so I would hesitate to offer a single easy answer to that important but difficult question. I think one option that people have, if there's enough trust and strong enough relationships, is to be transparent about where some of the heat and anger might be coming from. You could say, if you feel safe enough, sorry, I think I'm being distracted by other things that don't have anything to do with this situation. Give me a minute to collect my thoughts. That might be a thing that you could do. But again, I say only if it feels safe. And not all of us have coworkers and contacts at work where we would feel comfortable saying that. But I think the other option is just to give yourself that break. Find a way to take a few deep breaths, get the time you need, and see if you can calm yourself down.
0: Yeah, I think that's great. Self-compassion is really crucial here and compassion for others as well, right? To recognize that if someone at work doesn't seem to be having a great day, it may have nothing to do with work. It certainly may have nothing to do with you, right? I think sometimes we take it personally if someone snaps at us at work and sometimes maybe that's justified, but oftentimes it's not. It's all sorts of other things that are impinging on them that could be happening in their own personal life, their work life, but their own personal life as well. I think that just having that awareness that we're not robots at work, that we are still people at work, is a powerful thing for compassion for yourself and for others.
1: I 100% agree.
0: All right. So that's our take on season two, episode nine of Ted Lasso, Beard After Hours. Coming up next, we have season two, episode 10, No Weddings and a Funeral.